Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking once again about the wishes collection of weddings, vow renewals, and commitment ceremonies at Walt Disney World. This is part two of our overview of the wishes collection, which is so big, it required two podcasts to cover it. And we are joined once again by Christy Summers, who is a Disney wedding blog mentor and has joined us for a couple episodes now to talk a little bit more about these wishes events. Welcome, Christy. Thank you, Carrie. So on the last show, we went over the requirements, you know, what it's going to cost, how much you have to spend, how many rooms you have to book, and we talked generally about the process of planning an event. Today, I want to go over the timeline. What does an event look like? If you're trying to envision, okay, I think I want to get married at Walt Disney World, but what is that going to look like from start to finish? What's the day going to be like? So let's talk a little bit about that today. Usually, the first thing that happens is the photographer will meet the bride and or groom either in their hotel room or somewhere in their hotel to, if not do portraits, then do maybe what they call getting ready photos. So like you you see these shots of the bride's dress on a hanger and, you know, the makeup artist putting on their makeup and things like that. A lot of people like to have those. If you don't want to have those, you might be interested in doing your bridal portraits before the event, in which case you would meet with your future spouse and get your pictures taken maybe around the resort or you would go to the ceremony site and take them there. Traditionally, the bride and groom don't see each other until the ceremony. But if you do what's called a first look that enables you to shoot your photos together before the ceremony, you still get to have that wonderful first moment where you first lay eyes on each other. But instead of being at the altar, frozen in your spots, or one of you's at the end of the aisle and the other one's at the altar and everyone's there and you're so excited and you see each other at the altar, but then you can't say anything or tell each other how great you look until the end of the ceremony, the first look gives you a chance to be together alone, except for you and the photographer, before your wedding and just have this wonderful, peaceful moment where not only are you getting great photos, but you're getting to see your future spouse for the first time, all dressed up for the wedding, and just share this quiet moment before the big whirl of the day starts. And for us, that was priceless. That was one of our favorite moments of the day, something that traditionally would be considered a no-no, turned into, you know, a great, we got great photos. We have this priceless photo of my husband crying when he first saw me. It was just very calming and centering to spend that moment together before the whirlwind started and then then we went to Epcot, took our photos, and then, like I mentioned, you don't have to stick around after the ceremony and keep a few people back and take photos. You can all go to the reception together. I love the idea of the first look. And again, I, I understand some people, it's they want to stick to the tradition of waiting till the ceremony, but you do really have that calming moment to just, you know, let everything settle. You see each other, you can enjoy each other 
Because really on that day, you know, seeing that other person, that's what's centering you. But when you see that other person and then everyone's watching you. Right. I just, yeah, yeah. it's too nerve wracking for me personally. Yeah. And if you're at all verbal, like we chatter like magpies. So, you know, if you're at all a verbal couple and when you first see each other, you're going to want to say things like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. And I'm so happy to, that we're here together. And, and if you're standing there at the altar, you can't really say all that stuff unless you wanted to say it in front of everybody, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, it doesn't take away from that first moment when you see each other at the altar. For us, anyway, we did all of our photos together before the ceremony, and then the ceremony started, and Patrick went up to the altar before I did, and then I made my grand entrance. And seeing each other from the, across the length of the aisle, my heart still skipped a beat when I saw him, and I'd seen him all morning. I, you know, <laughs> it's there's still going to be something special about that moment when you get up to the altar together. Yes, it's it's all about the moment. So whether or not you guys have decided to do a first look, you both have to get to the ceremony site somehow. And whether that's together because you did a first look or separately, Disney can help you arrange the transportation. And that transportation depends on obviously how far you are away. If you're staying at the Grand Floridian, you can walk over to the wedding pavilion if you want, or you can take a limo if that would be a great photo opportunity. And at the same time, the guests are being transported, usually separately, but I have actually heard of couples going with their guests because it saves on transportation. If say they were required to charter a bus because their event is inside a theme park, it can save a lot of money if you just all ride the same bus instead of paying for separate, like a limo or something for the bride and groom. So you go to your ceremony site, you're going to have your ceremony, you're going to do your staged exit, unless your first exit actually worked and people knew to throw the flowers or the blow the bubbles or whatever, which rarely happens. But <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I wonder how often that happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think for us, we we didn't have to do a staged exit because we paused at the end of the ceremony on at the altar after we kissed and everything and we waited and pretty soon people figured out, oh, we're supposed to be doing something. And then they got out the pedals and started tossing them. But um, a stage exit, it, there's nothing wrong with staging the exit. It That way you can be sure that it's set up for photos and your photographer's in the right place and everybody's throwing or blowing or whatever they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> blowing bubbles or pinwheels or shooting off confetti poppers. <laughs> um and from there, traditionally, people will then go, the couple will go and take bridal portraits while their guests will be transported or will walk or drive themselves to the site of the reception and have what's called a pre-reception or a cocktail hour while they wait for the bride and groom. Personally, I loved doing our bridal portraits before the ceremony because then we got to stay with our guests and nobody had to wait around for us. I have a very short attention span and when I'm at a wedding, having to wait to get to eat is quite onerous. And I'm always looking at my watch and wondering, where's the bride and groom? When are they going to show up? I, I, I can't just exist on these cheese sticks any longer. So <laughs> that was my thing. So for us, we went straight to the reception. But that's a traditional way to do it. And it can be good because, you know, you get to take your bridal portraits around the ceremony site. You can do family portraits. That would be what would happen next. And then the reception, which most people know how a reception goes. You do your first dance, you have your meal, any other ceremonial dances like the father-daughter dance or the mother-son dance. And then, of course, entertainment if you're having it. If you're having a more casual reception, maybe you'll have a caricature artist or maybe you won't even need entertainment because it's just a small group and you're all just sitting around shooting the breeze, having a good time, catching up. But traditionally, this is when you would have the DJ would do all the dancing and the entertainment. If you're going to have characters show up, they would come and do photos and dance with all the kids for great photo opportunities and you would have your cake cutting and then sometimes people go from there 
to doing a dessert party in a theme park or at the Grand Floridian as a sort of capper to the night. Um, you can also use that dessert party setup as a pre-reception and maybe not serve dessert. So if, say, your reception were in the American Adventure Rotunda, you could have your pre-reception out in Italy watching illuminations. So, you know, you're talking about nine o'clock there and heavier hors d'oeuvres, not desserts, and then go in and have the actual reception until midnight or later in American Adventure. That sounds like it would be a fun option. (laughs) but a very late night. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And sometimes that's just the logistics of things. Like if you if you really have your heart set on the American Adventure Rotunda, you can only have it in the evening. So, and, and then other places, like if you want to get married in Epcot, you can only do that in the morning. So sometimes the venues you choose will decide the flow of your day just in order to make it work with Disney's schedule. And which venue it is that you really want the most. Right. That, that's really going to play a factor. Because, yeah, if you want American Adventure, but you want to get married in the morning, yeah, that just, that would be very complicated to try to work out. Right. And sometimes people ask, well, can I have a break? And and you can. I mean, we had a break, but we didn't do the break between the ceremony and the reception. I think that's probably less traditional and it might throw your guests off because part of the the payback that they get for going to your ceremony, especially if it's early in the morning at Epcot, is they get fed afterward. <laughs> so <laughs> they might be a little nonplussed if you turned them loose and said, well, see you in the evening for dinner. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And maybe people thought it was weird what we did, but we went straight from our morning Epcot ceremony to a brunch, and then there was a break, and then we had the dessert party. And if you do have your heart set on doing a dessert party, we'll talk a little bit in a minute about all the different kinds of events you can add. You don't have to have it on the ceremony day if it just doesn't work out. Like you were saying, Christy, if the event, the venues you want necessitate a certain schedule and the dessert party just doesn't fit into that, you can always do it as a welcome party or do it as a farewell party. So, you know, don't feel like you have to do everything in the same day. It can just be fun. And when you do all the food and beverage events on the same day, they all apply to your minimum expenditure, which they don't if you have them on other days. So it could end up being a very packed day when it goes right. up to $150 in 2013. Right. <laughs> what else can we add so that we can meet you? Know, and, you know, I, I maybe I'm underestimating because Disney certainly can do a pricey dinner and they can do a pricey cake. So it could be you have no trouble meeting $150 per person. Oh, yes, that's true, too. So let's talk a little bit about the kinds of unique events that you can add to a wishes collection, wedding or vow renewal or commitment ceremony. These days, it seems like people have entire wedding weekends. You know, it's not just the one shot, come in for the ceremony and leave the next day. They'll plan all kinds of events leading up to and after, especially because they're at a vacation destination. It's not just getting married at a local hotel. You're at a place that people are coming to hopefully, to spend some time at if they like Disney and they have families. So let's talk about some of the events that you can add. Okay, because I'm sure there are lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and as I mentioned earlier, the one thing you should know is that any event you add that is not on the day of your wedding does not count toward the overall minimum expenditure. So this is stuff that can be fun to have. And maybe you don't even need to do it through Disney. Some of these things you can just organize by making a reservation or having a party in your villa. Uh, it doesn't have to be a catered event through Disney, and that can be a good way to save money. So, But the first one, a dessert party, those you really do have to do through Disney. <laughs> and that's probably the most popular addition, I would say. And you can use it as a welcome party to just you know say, hey, thanks for coming, or a rehearsal dinner. Traditionally, rehearsal dinners are limited just to the family members and friends who are in the wedding party. But because you're doing 
a destination event, it can be nice to invite everybody to an event because all of them had to travel to be there. So a dessert party is a great way to do that. And you can do those in Epcot in Hollywood Studios at Fantasmic or at the Grand Floridian in the marina where you can see wishes over the Magic Kingdom. Very nice. And then other ideas, a bridal tea might be fun, a fun thing to do. You see a lot of these that are Alice in Wonderland themed, and you can even have the characters. You can have these huge, expensive, oversized props that they have that make it look really cool, like giant teapots and little sections of picket fence and totally do it up. Or you could all just meet at the tea room in the Grand Floridian, you know, or you could have everybody come to your Disney Vacation Club villa and have tea with you uh, on your balcony (laughs) overlooking Bay Lake or something. Another thing people like to do is a farewell brunch to thank everybody for coming out, get everybody back together one last time in a less formal setting and send everyone on their way. That can be a fun thing to do. And yeah, you could totally do a catered event, you know, do breakfast in France inside Epcot, or you could all just meet at the Grand Floridian Cafe and just make a big reservation and it's very casual. And then another kind of event that actually would take place in the course of your wedding day is the ride buyout or the mix-in. And this is a really fun, unique Disney touch where you can either buy out an entire ride, which means that you pay thousands of dollars. It, It depends on what ride or show or experience you want to have the thing open during your event and running. Like if you had your reception in the courtyard outside of Tower of Terror and you paid, I think it's uh, $6,500 to keep the ride running so that your guests could go on an infinite number of rides, as many as their stomachs could handle during your reception. That's one way to do it. Or you can also do what's known as a mix-in and that's a lot more economical and that you don't buy out the whole thing. They don't keep it running for you, but toward the end of the operating day, you are escorted, you and all of your guests are escorted straight onto the ride. You don't have to wait in line and everybody can ride together. The one caveat with that is that the bride can't ride if she's wearing a big poofy dress. So unfortunately, either the bride has to sit it out or I don't know, some brides change, you know, maybe change into a more casual outfit so that you could go on the ride with all of your guests. And that's a fun, super Disney touch that's, you know, where else can you ride soaring over California between the ceremony and the reception? Oh, excuse me. It's not called soaring over California in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Although it is still soaring over California. Um, But yes, you could have a, you could ride Soarin' with all of your guests between the ceremony and the reception. That's good in a much more economical way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's something like $15 a person or something. So So that $6,500 or approximately that you mentioned for Tower of Terror, is that, is that something that would go toward your minimums or is that above and beyond? No, that would go towards your minimums because you're, you're paying it to Disney. So. Yeah, so right there, you're almost meeting your minimums. You don't have to pay for anything else. You don't need flowers. You're over halfway there. (laughs) I I don't want to dwell on the ride buyout, but how long would something like that last? Like an hour? Is that? Well, if you buy out the whole thing, it's the duration of your event. So like if you wanted to do, again, these are like high dollar events. So sometimes they do events in front of Expedition Everest, and that actually requires you to buy out the ride. So it would be running for the the length of your event. And so if you have a traditional four or five hour reception, you know, maybe you're getting your money's worth, especially if you have a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Although I know for me, I can, once I write it three times, I'm done. So. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a good point because we love Tower of Terror and we love that area. And so if we could afford it, we probably would do an event there. But how many of your guests, you know, a lot of people can't do scary rides or they can't do elevator rides or so you kind of want to think about, well, what ride can we do that the most people can go on? 
Yeah, definitely. That's something to keep in mind because it might be your favorite ride, but are you going to be the only one riding it? Exactly. So we talked mostly about Epcot weddings and uh, we just touched on a little bit having a reception, maybe at Animal Kingdom or Hollywood Studios. So I know that there are a lot of venues where you can have ceremonies in Epcot. Are there venues offered in the other theme parks, say even Magic Kingdom, where you could possibly have your ceremony and or reception there? Yes, there's one site in the Magic Kingdom where you can have a ceremony, and that is the Swan Boat Landing, where the Swan Boats used to depart from, and it's down in the, actually, they don't call it the Swan Boat Landing, they call it the um, Castle Rose Garden, because it's, there's the Rose Garden, and then there's the Swan Boat Landing, but the chairs are set up on the landing, and you look out on the garden and the castle. And that's the only ceremony site in the Magic Kingdom, and you can't have a reception there. There are no locations for wedding receptions inside the Magic Kingdom. So if you do want to incorporate it in your day, you would have to do the Rose Garden package. And that has actually come down in the last couple of years. It used to be like a $24,000 package or something, and now it's a mere $10,000, <laughs> which <laughs> still sounds like a lot, but you know, if you're going to be spending $12,000 on your wedding already, and it's a package that has things in it like chairs, and it has transportation to take your guests not to the park, you have to pay extra for that. But they do put them on Main Street vehicles to take them down Main Street to the ceremony site. So, you know, it might actually be a pretty good deal. Yeah, $10,000. That's not so I mean, it is a huge number, but you're getting married in the Magic Kingdom, right? It's the only place you could ever really do that. <laughs> right. And the other thing to know about that is what it's a little bit harder to get a date nailed down if you want to do that because it all depends on park management. Disney's fairy tale weddings can't just book willy-nilly whenever they want. So you might have to wait till a little bit closer to your event before you find out what date has been approved. The other thing to know is that it takes place at 8 in the morning. So for some people right there, that's that rules it out because they simply can't get up for an 8 a.m. ceremony. That but, is early. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good day to maybe do your Magic Kingdom photo shoot, exactly. girl, if they would let you work it out that way. Yes, and I think they do. I think you can do it and then just go straight to your wedding. So that's a good way to do that. And then in the other parks, yeah, Epcot, most of the countries have ceremony sites. And there are some reception sites inside Epcot. Animal Kingdom has ceremony and reception sites. You don't see as many ceremonies in Animal Kingdom. But one cool thing is that because the park closes earlier than the other parks, it can be a better alternative if you do want to have an evening reception in one of the parks. If they're closing at 6 or something, you don't have to wait as long. So that can be cool. And you don't get the chance to see Animal Kingdom in the dark very often. And it's beautiful at night. Yeah, that's a good point because it really is. And because it closes so early and, you know, especially if you're there in the summer and it gets dark so late, it's almost like you're in a different place when you're there at night. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And then Hollywood Studios has tons of locations. I often say that they'll pretty much turn any spot in Hollywood Studios into a location for you. I don't know if that's strictly true, but I mean, they've taken walkways and turned them into event spaces. So pretty much if you have a favorite area, talk to them about it and they'll let you know what the options are. That's good because there's some beautiful architecture inside of Hollywood Studios. It can really just, well, in all the parks really, but um, I think more so in Hollywood Studios with the, you know, Sunset Boulevard and uh, just the backdrops that it gives. Not Definitely. a lot of decorations would be needed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. And the other cool thing is they have some venues that you can use even when the park is open. A lot of places you have to wait until the park is closed. You just can't have an event there while there are guests. But Hollywood Studios has a couple sites that you can use during the day, which is very cool because they are out of view of day guests. 
That is, I didn't think any of them let you do it during park hours. So that's really cool. Yeah. And then, of course, there are the traditional places that you see most of the ceremonies taking place, like Seabreeze Point at the Boardwalk Inn, the gazebo at the Yacht Club, and then, of course, the Wedding Pavilion, probably the most popular place to get married at Walt Disney World. So are there other, at the other resorts, you know, say, I think I've even heard of weddings at Coronado Springs, or I know the Polynesian has a venue, but really that's only for escape weddings because it's so small. Are there other hotels that maybe you can work with a coordinator to try to see if there's a space available to fit your party, even though maybe traditionally they don't hold weddings there? Yes, and it depends on the resort. At Coronado Springs, Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings does do events in the courtyard. I think they call it the Casitas Courtyard. It's, I guess, the biggest courtyard among all the building groupings. And it's very pretty, but they don't find that they get a lot of takers because it is completely surrounded by rooms. And so for a lot of people, it's just not private enough, but it's really good looking. The other thing you can do at Coronado Springs is plan a wedding and or reception through the company that owns the restaurants there. So that wouldn't even be a Disney's fairy tale wedding. And we can talk about that in a separate show and go over your options there. And then there are places like Shipwreck Beach at the Yacht and Beach Club, which you don't hear about a lot, but that's definitely an option. And then apparently they're even doing some ceremonies on the strip of beach between the Polynesian and the Wedding Pavilion, which is usually just for memories collection, which is the tiniest package for, say, elopements, uh, vow renewals. But apparently you can if you really, really want a beach location since there's no longer the beach location between the Grand Floridian and the Wedding Pavilion now that they're putting a Disney Vacation Club resort there. The beach on the other side of the Wedding Pavilion is an option if you're interested. And then I think I've even seen some in the marina area at Grand Floridian. Yes. So that is generally where you would go for your dessert parties. But there are two areas. There's the marina right in front of Gasparilla Grill, where all the boats pull up. And then there's a place called Sago Key, which is sort of a little arm that runs in front of the building there off to the side. It's a little more secluded. It has some nice trees and things. And it's for smaller groups. So yeah, you can do a wedding there. You can do a reception there. Most of the time people do it for receptions, but you could do a wedding if you didn't mind the boats and the people going to the grill and all that. It does seem like it would be quite a busy area. So maybe that's another thing where your scheduling would have to come into play. Right. Yeah. So really, there's a whole lot more to talk about with a Wishes Collection event because it's so customizable and you really have to build it from the ground up that we've only just touched on in these two shows. So we'll do future episodes that are about specific aspects. And if you have any questions and you'd like to know more about different aspects of the Wishes event, please get in touch with us. Uh, Leave a message on the podcast website or a message on the podcast Facebook page and just let us know the kinds of things that you'd like to see shows about or that you have questions about. Maybe we can even do a Q&A session for a future podcast. So thank you, Christy, for joining me on this show and on last week's show to sort of scratch the surface of the giant topic that is Wishes collection events at Walt Disney World. Thank you for having me on again, Carrie. I can't wait to talk more about it with you in a future show. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide, 
available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at passporter.com/weddings.asp or in print at passporter.com and amazon.com. <laughs>